That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Hey, party people, throw your hands in the Aya and wave them like you just don't care. This is A.A. Ron with Jacob Smith <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, trying to have the most annoying intro ever. I think that was a deep uh, and deep, deep sigh, long suffering, mm. uh, Jacob Smith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here we are, mid September, uh, getting ready for September 15th. Uh, that Sunday, that's what we'll be looking at today. But as we head into the fall, that's right. Jake, how are things going in Pooh, York City? Well, they're great. We're still, you know, technically in a podcast. We're in the middle of August. And so everybody's, you know, um, saying they're in the Hamptons, but they're really not. Uh-huh. And um, But, uh, you know, we are recording for September 15th, which is kickoff Sunday at Calvary St. George's. This is where the choir comes back. We put the eight-track player away. And, um, and everything gets launched, including our children's program, which will be brought to you this year by Storymakers. Dang, NYC, the official Sunday school material of Mockingbird Ministries. Uh, use your Sunday school material to make children Christians, not agnostics. And that you'll find in Storymakers. So um, available on Mockingbird or StorymakersNYC.com. Uh, at St. Albans. Uh, <laughs> Such a cheap what plug. Can I, what can I plug? Such a whore. I don't know. So anyway. Yeah, well, we, we will. Yeah, I'm brought to you by Sour Apple jo- <laughs> Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. Waco, Texas, St. Albans. That's right. We will. Have, if you're a newcomer, you get Jolly Ranchers. That's right. We, we give you a tote bag, too. Uh, we have been, uh, we will have already kicked off. Come for off. the tote bag. Stay for the Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> Oh, come for the donuts, stay for the Jesus. We got, we got, uh, we have wine, uh, we have that, but so do you, so we can't compete. You have wine, you have wine at your coffee hour? No, we have wine in oh. the chalice, Jake. Oh, I know, I know a few churches that do like sherry cheese coffee hours. We definitely couldn't do that here. It would attract so many crazies who would just come for the sherry. Yeah, it would be, like, it would be, f- I guarantee there'd be a, like a brawl in the narthex within 20 minutes after we served sherry. It would be frowned so. upon. You know, there, there's a, there was an old tradition at St. Albans long, long before my time, um, probably in like the era of Mad Men where uh, yeah. the men of the church would stay up and uh, like smoke brisket all night long. Oh wow! Uh, and then, uh, and they would need to, you know, hydrate themselves uh, uh, liberally with uh, some carbonated fermented beverages. And then, like mm-hmm. the next morning, the barbecue would be ready, and you'd have like a big kind of church picnic. But I always wonder what that was like, uh, you know, back in the Dude, back in the old days. If I were you, I would bring that back <laughs> like tomorrow. That is such a great idea. Oh my gosh! Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Please, Lord, prevent my bishop. Yeah, from that is to amazing. This. So, okay, well, let's anyway. Let's get into the Bible. Uh, we're kicking- let me tell you what Jeremiah is not having nearly as much fun as they were having in Waco, Texas, at St. Albans Church in the 1960s. That's right, Jeremiah. What Jeremiah, a the prophet of doom. Yeah, that's right. So, so we're continuing today. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to say one thing. Uh, if you are a listener and you are in or near Waco, Texas, if you are within a reasonable drive of Waco, Texas. Um, 
on this Monday, September 16th, and then the 17th and 18th, uh, one of the patron saints of Mockingbird, Fleming Rutledge, uh, two-time conference speaker and uh, someone we can't get enough of. Fleming will be uh, uh, giving the Parchman Lectures at Truett Seminary, uh, Baylor University. So if you're in Waco or near Waco, uh, come here, Fleming. Um, it, it, she's, she's a true Amazing. gift to the church. Uh, yeah. And if you haven't I believe heard her, come I, hear her. I believe my associate, the Reverend Ben DeHart, who is infatuated with her, has already begun to walk to Waco, Texas to attend those lectures so he can be there on time. He's so. walking to make himself worthy. It's sort of a purging walk, <laughs> cleansing time. So he's going on a pilgrimage to see Fleming, so, which yeah, we totally, absolutely. I completely approve of that. I bless that. Okay, mm. so Jeremiah, what kind of positive, encouraging mantras do we get from Jeremiah today? Oof. Not much yeah. uh, today, so, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, basically what we see here happening is, is that Jeremiah is b- talking about a hot wind coming from, from me out here, the bear heights towards the desert, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this is judgment against them. And really, you know, the beginning, as it says in the Psalms, uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And, uh, and uh, here Jeremiah is illustrating that these people do not fear God. They have become foolish then, and uh, stupid children, to quote him, with no understanding. And what we begin to see here, after he's pronounced his judgment upon them, they're skilled in doing evil and do not know how to good, the unraveling of creation begins to happen. And so I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. And to the heavens, they had no light. You remember the very first thing that God speaks into creation is light. And, uh, and uh, this, there is none. So you have what's happening here as these people are worshiping themselves and false idols. You have uh, the unraveling of creation. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is what happens when you, uh, <laughs> this is what happens when you follow an idol. Uh, it, it leaves you void. I, I you know. You can find big and small examples of this uh, in in your life, probably, and in the lives of other people. Um, one of the things that I just saw that kind of evinced this for me in a in a powerful way was there's this new Netflix rom com movie that has come out called Always Be My Maybe. It has Keanu Reeves in this incredible sort of small but crucial role, uh, and it's this kind of these. It's, it's written by a couple of Asian-American comedians. It's hilarious. Uh, but in this movie, it begins with this woman who is a high-flying restaurateur. She's a celebrity chef. She's at the top of her game, is opening restaurants all over the place. She is the hottest thing on the, on the restaurant scene. And her fiancé, who's also like this big deal promoter, uh, says, I think we should... Uh, you know, see other people for a while just to make sure this is the right thing. And he says, you know, it'll be good for us. And um, she sort of goes along with it. And she she's going from one scene where she's telling her best friend that she and her fiance are going to take a break for a few months to just, you know, then come back together and how mature and like free thinking and progressive they are in their relationship and that they can do something like that and how great it is and how it would be wonderful. Uh, and she finishes the conversation. She's all smiles. She turns to go. She says, I'm going to go do inventory. She goes into the walk-in fridge and just immediately bursts into tears. And I think so many people are following idols, whether it's their job, their relationship, 
um, whatever it is, or all, a combination of all that, but really inside it's sort of a desolate wasteland because none of those things have actually given mm. you what you want. And so this is Jeremiah using very kind of uh, poetic and powerful figurative language to describe um, what happens when you follow idols. Yeah, absolutely. And with the unraveling of creation, then the, uh, you know, and the truth is, is that when we do follow idols, our lives unravel. Um, everything begins to unravel. We see the unraveling of creation before our very eyes, you know, as we've experienced the hottest summers on record. I think it was just the hottest uh, July ever recorded. Yep. Um, all of these things. Now, the the way you don't want to go, especially if you're going to preach like climate change or the unraveling of creation in general, is you don't want to go to now we can fix it. No, you want to go to the same place G.K. Chesterton went when he was commenting on the resurrection of the dead. He said this, what the disciples were looking at on that Sunday morning was the first day of the new creation. And in the semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden in the cool, not of evening, but of the dawn of a new creation. Mm. And uh, that is what we're looking for in Jesus Christ is the first fruits kind of of this new creation where once again, God is saying it is all good and behold, he's making and has made all things new. Um, and so um, uh, that's kind of, I think that's the direction I would go um, if I was preaching this text. Yeah, and that's important too, especially in, in denominations that like to have a prophetic voice. Uh, the Jeremiah passages can be used, obviously. He's a prophet and speaking prophetically, and he's got a hard, challenging word, and he's holding people accountable. But you got to remember, we are preaching these passages after Jesus Christ. And so mm -hmm. you have to remember, for the people of Israel— the prophetic word didn't change them either. They did They did not get yep. their act together. They did go into exile, and it never was the same again. And um, even by the time of Jesus, they were back in the, the land. They did have a temple, but it was corrupt, and the Spirit of the Lord had departed. And, uh, and even now that temple has been destroyed. And um, mm -hmm. so, more prophecy, more hard words for people to get their act together. It didn't work the first time. Yeah. It didn't work the second time. It didn't work the third time. The message now, uh, if, if we delve into Jeremiah, is thank God for Jesus Christ, who, um, mm -hmm. who is the one who, as you said, restores creation, and we're now in that new creation with him. And so that's, yeah. that's where you got to go on this. And I think that, that that's a perfect segue into our epistle reading, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Oh, it's so sweet. I mean, this is... This is, this is a beautiful, beautiful opening uh, where Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy was a, a disciple, if you will, of Paul. He had a, a Jewish mother, Greek father, and, uh, you know, and um, Paul circumcised him. They both agreed to it so that, um, you know, um, Timothy wouldn't cause offense and could be all things to all people. But here, Paul is writing to Timothy this letter to encourage him, and he begins by opening with his testimony. Now, going back to this thing, speaking prophetically— this is why when you speak prophetically and if you want to speak on social issues today, you always have to drive it to Jesus. Because as you've just said, Aaron, we always, always fail. This is the nature of sinners, failures. And this really gets at the heart of what Paul is saying. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. This is part of what we call in our liturgy the comfortable words. Mm -hmm. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. And that is really the, the message that we preach and the thing that we try and get at is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you're not a sinner, by all means, stay in bed, 
go to brunch, pop into Aaron's Narthex and just grab the Sour Apple Jolly Ranchers and leave. But uh, if you are a sinner and you're hearing the gospel preached, then you're going to find a word that is going to be the balm in your life and uh, will cause you to look beyond just simply what you do and to what Christ has done for you. Yeah, and it's sort of this amazing thing. I mean, in 1 Timothy, it begins... And by the way, preachers, don't get into the whole question of Pauline authorship or not on First oh, Timothy. Snooze. It's going to put your congregation <laughs> to sleep. It'll confuse them. And that is not a helpful word. If you're in a Bible study, you can talk about it, but don't do it from the pulpit. So just taking it at face value and hearing it as something that is uh, Pauline. Um, uh, what is interesting here in verse 12, it says that God judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. And in the next verse, he says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, a man of violence. Mm. Who was, um, yeah. uh, and, and so, isn't that funny? He judged me faithful, even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. <laughs> yeah. he, that's, Talk about imputation. That's, yeah, exactly. That's imputation. That's God choosing the worthless things of the world uh, and the 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 foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And uh, what's interesting too is that Paul calls himself a blasphemer, even though at the time he was the most devout Jew mm -hmm. uh, and thought he was totally faithful uh, according to the law, uh, but he realizes he was a blasphemer because of what he was saying about Jesus Christ at the time. And even so, the grace of the Lord overflowed for me. And so, he, Paul gives us the gospel. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. That's what he, he didn't, uh, as... Um, People say he didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. He came to mm. save sinners. Um, and this is this is what we're in it for. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's an incredible passage. It is pure gospel. And, it, and uh, man, preach, preach this stuff. Yeah, and really, all, at the end, all we can say is to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So, now... <sighs> Turn it to Luke 15 as we work our way through the gospel. This is the prelude to one of the most famous gospel stories or stories in the gospel uh, of Luke, uh, the story of the prodigal son, which will be beginning, which we'll cover next Sunday. But for Luke 15, 1 through 10, this gives you the context for all for that story. The context being there's tax collectors and sinners that are listening to him. And then Pharisees show up and they're upset that he's even spending any time with them much less eating with them, uh, sharing table fellowship with these people who are sinners. And then in response, he tells three parables. The first two we get today, um, and the third one we'll get next Sunday. So this is kind of a yeah. two-week kind of one-two punch thing here you can do if you want to want to preach on Luke 15. And so, Jake, yeah. when what do you, where do you go when you when you begin these if you're preaching on Luke 15? Well, no matter how often I come across a parable, because there's always people that are new to the congregation and the people have forgotten, what I want to do is really define what a parable actually is. And a parable is not a fable. Um, there's no moral lesson here at the end. These are earthly illustrations of heavenly truths. And um, that's what this is. And, uh, and so Jesus is telling these parables. And if you look, there's like a structure to them which isn't really that important. And, um, you know, if you kind of want to impress for a brief moment, your congregation never debunk the authorship of First Timothy, but you can talk about chiasms 
and writing chiastically in the Greek and Luke's, the, the, the way he models these, like the shape of an X kind of coming in and out. But anyway, I digress. But the no, but what is, you mean, Jake, because he begins with a hundred sheep and then 10 coins and then two brothers. So it's yeah, that's right. So it goes, narrowing down. Thank you. How do you say in your country? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you're narrowing it down. And uh, he's narrowing it down from the least important to the most important. Um, it goes from um, um, impersonal to deeply, deeply, profoundly personal. That's what's happening here. But they all revolve around something. And instead of calling them the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lo prodigal son, you could call them the found son, the found sheep, the found coin. That's what this is all about. Jesus, God is the one doing the searching. And he's crazy. Which one of you have 99 sheep and would leave the 99 sheep or 100 sheep and leave the 99 sheep? to find the one, none of them would. It's absolutely positively absurd because if you left the 99, animals would come along and eat them while you're off looking for the one. Nobody would do that. They'd be like, the one is dead. But this shepherd is crazy. This God is nuts. He goes off and looks for that one lost sheep. That's how radical this grace is. Yeah, and plus it's sort of stupid to go look for the lost sheep because you're going out into the wilderness and you could get attacked too. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, mm -hmm. It's take, putting that risk on yourself, which of course is what what Jesus does for us. Uh, and then you have the um, uh, the woman the with the ten coins, and she probably this you know their banks were not really something that Jewish uh, folks could, I mean peasants or of any kind could use back then. And so this woman probably has these coins on a necklace that she's wearing. Um, she loses one of them. And so uh, she's going to search diligently till she finds it. Sweep the house. Basically, she's missing an entire days of wage to find one ridiculous coin. Yeah. And then she invites everybody over to have a party over this one coin. So she's going to spend the nine additional coins. She's going to spend everything. So basically, she's getting nothing out of the deal. Right. And so what's, <laughs> what's interesting about this is uh, in both stories, Jesus wants to say that there is more joy in heaven about one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous or, uh, you know, there's the, the one found coin is better than the nine she had. One sinner who repents, there's joy. In the, so this idea that God's heart is, is inefficient, um, he, he wants to waste time on the least worthy. He wants to find the sinner and give everything for them. Um, it's like, you know, a parent who has a bunch of kids and all the rest go to law school, business school and med school. And one is like a deadbeat who's constantly getting arrested for vagrancy and marijuana possession. And like, that's the favorite kid. And this is what's so offensive about this passage. Um, God's favorite is the black sheep, in a sense. And the, the mm. Pharisees who are the ones who are getting it done, and this is what, you know, how can you be undermining the very fabric of society, Jesus? You're giving rewards of your time, your attention, your teaching to sinners. You're welcoming them. You're just encouraging them. You're going to, they're going to walk all over you. They're going to, they're going to think it's okay for them to live the way they're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, and there's some jealousy there. Like, here we are, fair, we have master of divinity degrees. We're, we're being good and you're not spending time with us. And so there's something here. The heart of God is for people who are lost, is for people who are sinners. This is this, is this insane God we follow, which mm. is bad news if you're getting it done. And if you're on, among the good people mm. of the world, or at least you think you are, it's really good news if you can see uh, yourself as you actually are, which is a sinner yeah. in need of grace. And the problem is, is that sometimes, you know, the way our culture has like 
and the way church in a profound level has articulated who God is, oftentimes that one lost sheep, that one lost coin, um, can't understand that God would be coming after them. We have set up a God who's in favor of good people, who's hanging with the 99 righteous sheep. And, uh, you know, and there's a great illustration of that in um, Breaking Bad. There's an episode where Jesse, a Walter White's um, right-hand person, goes and he's trying to recover and get out of drugs. And so he goes and he lives with his mom and dad. And he's got this little brother who's like this genius savant, is great at music, great at science, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesse looks at his little brother and goes, you know, you always were their favorite. And the little boy says, his little brother goes, you know, no, you were. You were the one that they're always crying over. You're the one that they're always welcoming back. You're the one that, you know, keeps them up all night. And uh, this, is, this is the powerful thing is that this is, this is our God. He's the one who's up all night over the Jesses of this world. He's the one going after them and loves them deeply and loves you deeply. And the problem is, is that we've uh, created this God who's interested in good people. Um, and uh, that's, that's the tragedy. God is interested in bad people because bad people are the only folks out there. <laughs> that's right. I wish there was another kind, but there ain't. So mm. this, these, uh, the, you get... Um, as you head now into mid-September um, and into a stressful time of year, you do have, um, with Jeremiah, a pretty clear depiction of the law, of what it looks like if we live apart from God um, and what that uh, devastation is like. But but we are, um, we're not left there, uh, both in 1 Timothy and in Luke 15. We get these incredible declarations of the gospel of who God is. Um, he doesn't want us to live in those devastated uh, wastelands. He wants us to come mm. into the new creation. And knowing that we can't do it on our own, he gives himself. He calls somebody like Paul, uh, who was a sinner, and he calls these tax collectors and these si other sinners. Um, uh, this is this is who God is. So um, we're invited into the new yeah. creation, not because of our own greatness, but because of God's mercy. Yeah, to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, on that doxological note, uh, I think that is a fitting ending. And remember, if you're in Texas, come here Fleming Rutledge this week. Uh, if not, um, well, sucks and, to uh, be you. stop by your church for some uh, Sour Apple Jolly Ranchers. Yep, or go to Calvary St. George's for uh, great coffee uh, and um, great <laughs> preaching and great children's ministry. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, Waco too. Thank so you. you guys are doing story makers. Thank you. So always plugging. We do what we can. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right, Jake. <laughs> See back you later. To work. See you later. Bye. Love you guys. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.